felt to Strange. You think you know how the world works? What if I told you the reality you know is one of many? This doesn't make any sense. Not everything does. Not everything has to. This is Electric Shadow, a show about the past, present, and future of cinema. I'm Moises Chu Yan. Marvel's Doctor Strange is a character that I have a good deal of history with. I've been a fan of the character since I was a kid. I'm also multi-ethnic. I'm Chinese-Cuban on my dad's side, white on my mom's side, and I've had a difficult-to-define racial identity for my whole life. Growing up, I got all the jokes and none of the benefits, if there were benefits, uh, to being any of the various different check-this-box-if-you-are races. One of the things that I very much looked forward to with the feature film treatment of Doctor Strange is seeing something that took some of the 50-year-old racial stereotypes, ethnic identity issues that the core material has, and twist and turn them into something different. From what I've seen so far, I have a much more optimistic view of that having happened. But there's been a fair amount of controversy about the film thus far. To some people, the question became, why not just throw the character out, do something new, avoid this area completely, instead of rehabilitate the various problematic issues? To me, the thing about Doctor Strange is that at the core of the character, it's not about him being a white savior archetype going to Asia to become best Asian. It's about a man facing his own ego as his own greatest antagonist and overcoming that sense of self to embrace a sense of selflessness, something that I think is is a good trait for a hero to have. There are things that needed to be changed. We'll get into those with director Scott Derrickson in this episode of the show, and I also speak with my friend film critic and film programmer Walter Chaw from Alamo Drafthouse Denver about the representation issues facing this character, facing this story, and how he had an instrumental role in helping shape what none of us really have seen, though many of us have an opinion about. Especially when it comes to issues of representation, I don't presume to be monolithic. I don't think that anybody has the right to really say that they speak for all of a certain type of people. But I grew up being told that I wasn't really enough of this, I wasn't enough of this, I wasn't enough of various different things to be allowed to have a seat at the table. I don't even presume to have some sort of enhanced seat at the table because of my knowledge and background of the character. I don't think that that's a qualifier. I don't think that you have to be able to prove your bona fides that you know something better than other people because then it's just a matter of anything you can do, I can do better. And that doesn't get us anywhere. On this episode, we're going to start out talking to Scott Derrickson. We'll jump over and hear a bit from my friend Walter Chaw and we'll dig deep into the issues of representation, whitewashing, and Orientalism that have been part of the controversy surrounding a movie that, once people see it, may not actually have had much weight to them. But only time will tell. This episode of Electric Shadow is brought to you by Fracture. Photos printed on glass, made in the USA, but they do ship internationally. You have not really appreciated photos that you want to last a lifetime until you print them in a way that will last a lifetime These are photos printed on glass with mounting hardware, laser-etched foam backing, everything in the box that you need to just put it up on your wall. No separate steps required. Go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. Let them know that you heard about them on Electric Shadow to support the show and save 10%. You'll hear more about them as the show continues. And without further ado, here 
is Scott Derrickson. You're kind of defining multiversal implications for uh, for the Marvel Universe. So let's go back to your origin story of the character. What was your introduction to Doctor Strange? Reading Marvel Comics growing up, um, my father brought a huge stack of comics. Like, I think it was well over a thousand comics. Uh, I don't know to this day where he got them. Uh, he just brought them home one day from his office. And I had read comics and bought comics at the store and stuff like that, but there was it was mostly Marvel comics, and I just began to devour them and, and got into uh, the whole Marvel comic universe. Especially became a fan of Fantastic Four and Doctor Strange. So in, in this trailer that just got released today, we're seeing folding cityscapes, folding realities, uh, a lot of the kind of mind-bending stuff that the character's so well-known for. Is, is that what attracted you to taking the project on in the first place? That was part of it. The visual ambition of the comics um, were always so fascinating to me. You know, I felt that what Ditko did uh, and what Jack Kirby built on visually was something so unique and, and, and still to this day holds up as unique forms of art. Um, I loved the idea of cinematically trying to translate that and using that as a very legitimate way of pushing the boundaries of, of weirdness in, in, in a tentpole movie with visual sequences and to try to do use visual effects for you know something other than blowing shit up. You know, it, I, I just felt felt that uh, it was an opportunity to uh, create visual experiences that the audience hasn't had before, and that is all good and well as long as it's centered around a character that you care about. Yeah, so it, it was the, the the goal going in, and I think that what helped me get the job was wanting to push the boundaries of, of visual weirdness in the movie, um, but to keep it all really centered around this very. Uh, intimate tale of personal enlightenment and growth you know it's a guy who it's really a story in the end it's a story about a philosophy of life which is that um, one must overcome one's own ego to, re- to receive re- true power and um, Stephen Strange this arrogant doctor who has everything is actually powerless in his life and doesn't know it and then when he loses everything and experiences his own powerlessness and is crushed under the weight of suffering uh, only then does he begin a path of true growth and and watching him go through that gauntlet of pain and suffering into uh, a, a, a kind of enlightenment and selflessness telling that story is what makes Doctor Strange meaningful to me you know and I think what makes it you know hopefully a good movie and with all the visual ambition of it coupled with that makes it incredibly unique there's nothing else like that in adapting the story of Doctor Strange to the screen, you've you've tweeted teasers of various different things that have been part of this tapestry of research that you've done. <laughs> and at the end of this trailer, we got uh, we got a reference to one of my absolute favorite uh, Doctor Strange stories, written by J.M.D. Mateus, uh, into Shambhala, which yeah. is sadly out of print. I should mention. Oh God, uh, you're kidding! Of, it's been out of print for years. It years. is. It is the most. It is the most uh, visually spectacular. Uh, Doctor Strange story um, outside of the early Ditko work, I think, and the and and in terms of uh, modern quality and modern standards, nothing can beat that comic. I mean, it's so awesome. The story is amazing. The visuals are amazing. It's I, I I'm 
I'm very upset right now that you told me that it's out of print. I can't. I didn't know that. You probably know one or two people you can. You oh no, can I've got. I've got. I've got several copies at home. I've got. You know. <laughs> you're hoarding them. Yeah, I'm, you're the, you're I'm the, the reason they're. I'm the reason that they're out of print because <laughs> I've got like four or five of them in my house. When in bringing these stories to the screen, were there individual elements that you were really? Uh, deeply focused on making sure made the transition in, in a way that you felt lent themselves to, to cinematic telling individual characters uh, elements from from favorite stories you know beyond into Shambhala that, that you looked at I think that it was it was more philosophical stuff than than um, than that it was it was the, the the idea of magic being magic um, you know as opposed to magic being an extension of science or something that's explainable I think uh uh, what makes magic, you know, appealing is the idea that it's it, it cannot be explained away. It it, it can it it is uh, by definition magical, and mysticism, belief in mysticism. Those were the things that I took from the comics and loved about the com- comics, and that w- the comics were a product of the '60s and '60s psychedelia, mind expansion, and the trippy visuals, and all again all of the, all of that. Those were things I really wanted to protect. Uh, and then the, the the specific origin of Strange himself. I just think it's the best Marvel origin story. It, I really, it's my favorite or, origin story of any Marvel character. And I think, you know, not not feeling like uh, not being nervous that oh another origin story. I, I my feeling was is well, first of all, I think all good stories are origin <laughs> stories if they're good uh, of some kind because you're dealing with the before and after quality of a character. And uh, and but this particular before and after is really remarkable, and and uh, and it's why when you look at the comics in all of their various decade reiterations, they keep telling that same origin story because it's so good, you know, and and it, and it never gets old. They've and, grafted it onto some other characters' origin stories in retelling those. Yeah, it's been it's been pilfered plenty, you know, but but it, it, that's also no excuse to 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 shy away from what it is, you know, um, because it's good. It's really really good. We'll get back with Scott in just a minute. As for now, here is a chunk of my conversation with Walter Chaw, general manager of Alamo Drafthouse Cinema, Denver. He's been writing reviews for a number of years at filmfreakcentral.net. A link will be in the show notes at esn.fm slash electricshadow slash 41. From this point on, there will be some interweaving of my conversation with Walter and my conversation with Scott. A mutual friend introduced us a while back when he realized that we didn't know each other and found that we had very similar simpatico views on the fact that with troubled racial representation, there are things to be embraced like Short Round from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which Walter uses as his Twitter bio icon, and things to be rejected, like Long Duck Dong. So Walter, in addition to uh, to being a, a film programmer, a film critic, uh, a diversity advocate, um, a fierce uh, progressive voice on the internet, uh, which is a terrible place. You're one of the people that makes the internet a better place for me. Um, I, I did not realize uh, until we got to talking about it that uh, that Scott Derrickson had actually reached out to you in addition to a number of other people um, because he wanted to do the homework and get things right and make the best decisions one could when it came to Dr. Strange. Uh, is that, I mean, would, would you say that that's, that's characterizing it fairly? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you don't mind, if I could just like step back just for half a second, you know, my capacity as a programmer, I had Scott out to my theater when we watched, uh, you know, the movie that he wanted to watch, he wanted to introduce us to uh, his sons to was uh, Kurosawa's Yojimbo. You know, we found a 35 millimeter print of it. He gave uh, about a 25 to 30 minute introduction to Yojimbo that is one of the finer introductions that we've ever hosted at, at, at my theater. And it was uh, it was a moment that I learned a lot about Scott. I, I, I had known Scott for some time before that. We'd you know, be, be become friends through, through the Internet, this terrible, terrible place, but there are some good things about it. And he came in, and that was the movie that he chose to show. That's what he wanted to share with an audience. That's what he wanted to share with his family. And through that, you know, I learned that his favorite film is Akiru, another Kurosawa film. Uh, we, we 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 talked at length about Kurosawa. He teaches a course on it. Um, and, and and you know, as soon as I say that, I know that there's going to be a certain faction that will say, well. You know, oh, he, he was he was the president of the anime club. Yeah, he was the white guy who was in charge of the yes. anime club in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, who, that's who this Scott Derrickson guy is. Exactly, they're going to say he's a fetishist, and you yeah. know, there's first Orientalism now fetishism, and all of these terms that I think people don't entirely understand how hurtful they can be, even when they're used by the right side, quote unquote, the pro- pro- progressive side, because it speaks to, you know, a, a certain kind of condescension and pandering for actual Asians like, like you and like me who have spent a lot of time living with this and, and thinking about it and being injured by it. Um, you know, my, my, my role models and yours, I know go, growing up, there were Mr. Miyagi or there were short round and, and on TV, there was the cook on Bonanza, I think, and the ancient Chinese secret guy on that commercial. Um, the, there, there, there weren't a lot of choices for us. And I mean, you know, we, we would there, watch was, a, there was Sulu, there was Sulu, there was Sulu and those other guys. Yeah. Which made it all the more painful when George Takei came out. And talked a little bit about Doctor Strange, which is, I guess, what we're, we're going to get around about to talking about is that, yeah, Scott reached out to me, and he, uh, you know, it was out of the blue, really. And I, I, I was aware that he got the, the Doctor Strange job, but you know, we hadn't talked about anything about that before. We're not that kind of friends. But he reached out and he said, "Hey, look, man, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned." And, and you know, without you know trying to go verbatim about the conversation, he was genuinely concerned, and he wanted to do. The legwork, and he really wanted to understand. And he wasn't asking advice about what to do. He was asking about what my experience was of this culture. And you know, I've spent 15 years writing about and teaching film. And um, my experience of the culture was: I, I love, I love American movies. I love Hollywood. But I've always felt a little bit like the guy that wasn't invited to the cool kids party. I get to watch it. But I don't get to be in it you know, unless I'm Long Duck Dong or something r- ridiculous like yeah, the best hey, friend. Uh, hey, we need a we need a stringer to review Better Luck Tomorrow. Right, exactly right. Or or, or can you interview Stephen Chow? Do you do you know that language, whatever that that is? And you know, the, the, those are the assignments. Those are the yeah. And, and, and so I, I it. When I watch the Rogue One trailer, right, and, and and you see Asian faces in the Star Wars universe, finally, you know, decades after Star Wars had appropriated those things, you know, instant waterworks. I, I I was beside myself with joy that I lived to see that, and, and so that was the perspective that Scott was looking for when he called me to ask me about Doctor Strange, and he said we're we're we we've got some issues. Uh, you know, we want to bring this property. It's a great property. We, we, we want to do the right things for it, but we need to make some changes. We recognize that because this is something from 1967. We're in 2015, 2016, when, when, it, when it's going to release. Um, 
there's some changes that need to be made now, you know, and, and let's start with the ancient one. How would that, how does that figure make you feel? And I didn't know that much about Dr. Strange. I went back and I did some homework and, and I looked at it and I was like, you know what, honestly, we don't need another Mr. Miyagi. I don't want, you know, another wise guy, you know, you know a wise man sitting at the top of a mountain where, you know, a white guy goes up there and learns how to be Asian. And it, that, that doesn't move the ball forward. There are certain things like if, if you remake 16 Candles or I should say when you re remake 16 Candles, really the Long Duck Dong character should go. There should be something else there, you know, and I don't think it helps advance the football to have another Asian guy playing another of that horrible stereotype. And so that, I think that's really the issue that we run up against is that, you know, Asians are so underrepresented in, in, in this culture, in white culture. And I get that. Sure, I, I get it. But – I don't think the solution is that whenever there's any was any Asian representation that we put Joel Gray and, and fright makeup and, and make him the you know Remo Williams's um, uh, guru that can't be the solution every time. So you know I, I think Scott was really aggressively looking at ways that without damaging inclusion in his film that he would also avoid deepening um, pain. In just a moment, we'll hear from director Scott Derrickson on the issues of diversity, inclusion, whitewashing, erasure, and orientalism in one long-form take, in a way that he hasn't spoken about on the record up until now. I, I, I still respect people who won't respect that thought process, because what I did, I felt that I was choosing the lesser evil. But just because you choose the lesser evil doesn't mean you're not choosing an evil. And does, does that mean that people still have a legitimate position to, to call it whitewashing and to be angry? The answer is yes. In just a moment, you'll hear all that and more after we say thanks to our sponsor this week who made it possible to bring you this episode of the show, this very special episode of the show with limited single commercial interruption. This episode of Electric Shadow is brought to you by Fracture, photos printed on glass. If you have photos that you want to remember and cherish for a lifetime, you should print them in a way that's going to give those colors the kind of energy that they need that'll bring that moment from your past forward into the present. For a long time, even going back to the film days, the process was you would take your photos to have them printed at a photo printer. You would find a frame, you would put them in the frame, you would hang them on the wall, you'd realize you needed some better anchoring support, so you went back to the store to get that stuff. And then finally... You would eventually, after probably three, four weeks, months of procrastinating, actually put your photo on the wall. Fracture cuts all of those steps out. You order your photo from Fracture, they print it on glass, attach laser-etched foam backing, so it serves as its own frame. They put mounting hardware right in the box. You open up the box when it arrives, you can put it right on the wall right away. The process that they go through uses machines that I, I wasn't allowed to photograph when I went to their facility in Gainesville, Florida earlier this year. But needless to say, it is absolutely cutting edge, absolutely vivid, and a way that you've never seen your photos pop since you saw what was happening in them live. It really is gorgeous. It's something that seeing it in person makes all the difference in the world. So if you want to just do a test run, see what one looks like, pick something that you want to have that you want to hang on your wall, that you want to take with you from house to house, from apartment to apartment, as you move around for the rest of your life, just something small. And get 10% off. Go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. Let them know that you heard about them here on Electric Shadow and save 10%. 
Start bringing your photos back from the dark dimension and bring them vividly to life printed on glass with Fracture. Thank you to Fracture for exclusively sponsoring this episode of Electric Shadow. Remember to support the show, FractureMe.com slash podcast. Let them know that you heard about them on Electric Shadow. Well, speaking of mysticism and not shying away from things, one of the things that that was of great concern to me as a longtime strange fan and as a, a person of color is the the notion of Orientalism that is you know part of the origin story and that is something that you know you, you and I as we've discussed previously it's you know it's it's something that people make assumptions about a movie yeah. before they've seen it um, and particularly getting to see Wong in this new mm-hmm. trailer is something that I had been champing at the bid for um, you know not telling us the story of, of what everybody's going to see in a few months. Uh, but, you know, what, what can you say in, in terms of fleshing out things that 50 years ago in that origin story were m- very much part of the kind of orient- Orientalism that we saw in comics at the time? Well, I think, I think to, to answer that question, I have to start by, by saying that n- not only was there a, a, an awareness on my part of the history of Orientalism in cinema, that was something I was, as a, as a cinema buff, as a cinema professor, uh, you know, uh, I was really aware of that and, and aware of what had been done with, with particularly with stereotyping um, uh, and, and whitewashing in the, in the traditional sense of the word, you know, having white characters playing Asian characters. Um, that was all of that was I was very conscientious of, and I think that that what I became more conscious of as I talked with Asian Americans about the casting of the role, I really began to feel a, a, a and, and and even more so at another level since there's been controversy surrounding the the, the first you know uh, teaser release. I really have come become very uh, empathetic in my feeling for people who've grown up. As Americans going to the movies every weekend, like I did as a kid, for whom movies were everything, like they were for me growing up, everything. Movies are every, movies are life. To do that and not see your face up on screen, I can't imagine what that's like. I don't. As a white kid from North Denver, I don't know what that's like, you know. But as I've I've, I've really gotten into this with with other. Um, uh, Asian Americans and 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 heard them talk about their own experience with representation in movies. I feel genuine uh, empathy for that, and, and it's got to change. That's why it's an important issue. Um, none of these, none of that was lost on me in the casting process. Quite the quite the opposite. Um, for myself and in my conversations with with Kevin Feige, what I felt coming in was looking at the comics you've got um you know you've got a a few of the characters that that are the the major players in the in the early origin story dr strange himself of course the ancient one mordo um wong you know that's sort of the the ones that that are that are uh you've got you've got to you've got to reckon with i went into the movie thinking we would leave wong out of the movie because you know it they were both the ancient one and wong were racial stereotypes um, and pretty bad ones but Wong was a kung fu sidekick manservant like what he's great at making tea and not much else and not much else so uh, my when I came in to the process and we started working on the script I told Kevin I was like I don't know what what are we going to do with this character there's just nothing really that we can do here that that's that's going to be helpful in the process without without 
playing into the worst kinds of stereotypes. And that was my, my thought process to begin. So we just didn't, we weren't including that character. And I think that would have been fine. But then as we started to develop the Asian one and reckon with the stereotypes of that character, very quickly I, I made the decision it should be a woman. Let's, let's, let's get a woman who's not a, you know, 28-year-old, you know, uh, fanboy dream girl. Uh, and, and let's have a woman play this. And then we began to work on the script, and as, as it, there were certain things about the, about the character from the comics that had to be preserved. She had to be a magical, mystical, martial arts mentor. Spouting philosophy to every spout, Yeah, spouting, spouting Eastern you know, uh, philosophy um, as opposed to Western logic. You know, mysticism, uh, rooted in mysticism and magic and all of that. And um, they're just... And, and, when we finally were getting the, the, the character to work, as it was starting to work, I, I just started to realize, I, I felt very strongly, m- me personally, and it was my position, and I, I, I will own the position, I felt very strongly that casting an Asian in that role would be playing into the dragon lady stereotype. Dragon lady, Asian wizard, combined Magical into one. Asian, the, yeah. that the orientalism of that decision would be inescapable, no matter how good the character was. And so... Uh, that was that was a very and that was again I went to to people I respected in in uh, in who were Asian Americans who knew cinema uh, who were uh, who were uh, activists uh, you know and and I I think I, that's where I fo- finally found the support to make that decision um, at that time there wasn't a whitewashing controversy going on you know so I think a bit of that backfired but what I knew in making that decision and then what uh, then then I had to think okay well then who should it be and when I thought of Tilda I thought well she embodies everything that is great about the ancient one in the comics the the mysticism the ethereal quality the quasi duplicity all, all of those things weirdness without it being a, a derogatory thing yeah and just the the, enigm- the enigmatic quality of the, of the character in doing that I I, in, in, I was very happy she's amazing in the movie she's phenomenal in the movie but I, I, I recognize after making that decision that, okay, we erased an a, a potential Asian role here. So we have to bring Wong back and make him a major character. That's just what we had to do. And so it was after making that decision that we were like, okay, let's figure out how are we going to... And Wong, unlike the Asian one, was a character that we could really invert all of those stereotypes. You know, instead of a manservant... He's a, he's he comes a, off he, really butch. He's a, he's a, he's a ma- he's a master of the mystic arts in this. Yeah. You know, he, he instead of Strange's sidekick, he's Strange's intellectual mentor. He's the guardian of the librarian at Karma. He's the of the, the guarding librarian of all the books at Karmatage. Um, you know, he's not a sidekick. He's not uh, he, he's not he, he, in, he's not any of those stereotypes. Instead, he's sort of the polar opposite of them. And uh, and as a result, you know, when we screen the movie for audiences, he's he's after Doctor Strange. Those two characters, the ancient one and and uh, Wong, are probably the favorite characters of the audience. You know, so it was. I I appreciate you letting me give a a, a long winded answer because it's it's, it's, it's not a, a it's not a soundbite. Um, I I I still respect people who won't respect that thought process because. What I did, I felt that I was choosing the lesser evil. But just because you choose the lesser evil doesn't mean you're not choosing an evil. And does, does that mean that people still have a legitimate position to, to call it whitewashing and to be angry? The answer is yes. 
and and so I will never tell anybody, especially an Asian American, that yeah. they're wrong to still disagree with the decision. All I know is that I did, I made the best possible choice that I could, and I absolutely stand by it because I think it was the right decision. When I thought of Tilda, I did a pass on the script for her to write it for her, and then it came alive in a mm. way that was uniquely hers. And when I gave the script to Kevin, I said, I said, I want to send this to Tilda. If she says no, I have to rewrite the character because it was written, because it ended up being so tailor written for her. But again, if I gave that exact role as written to an Asian actress, I think it would be a bad stereotype. I think it would, be, it would not be good for Asian representation in the end. And the issue of Orientalism, you know, I've read, I, I care about this issue. I've read Saeed's book about Orientalism yeah. that coined the phrase. It's, it's something I really understand because I, I care about representation. I care about cinema history in the way, in the way representation has been so um, poorly, uh, uh, at least, you know, so poorly done for Asian Americans, at least African-Americans have had for the last several decades, you know, going back to the 80s, they've had Eddie Murphy and Will Smith and Denzel Washington, these great leading men. And where's our, where's our Asian-American lead actor, you yeah. know? Um, it, it's, it, it's time, <laughs> for sure. Uh, well, well overdue. But the last thing I'll say about it is that it was also a conscientious choice to keep the movie set in the east, I didn't want to go to the Far East in the stereotypes of the of the mystical Asian, magical Asian of the Far East. But going to Nepal, going to the city of Kathmandu, was was something that I'm very happy about because I'm very happy about the presence of an Asian culture that's so unique. Because there's no place in the world like Kathmandu, and the, the, the Nepalese are a different people than anyone anyone else and and it's not you can't wrap all asian cultures together but the decision to make to go there and shoot was a decision made after the earthquake because after the earthquake was made like we had scouted there but we had scouted other places too and then after the earthquake there was a lot of pressure not to go there and because of safety concerns all of that um now, I wouldn't say pressure, but there was a lot of questioning about whether or not it was even an option. And Benedict and I talked about it, and Benedict had gone there as a, as a young man, had very meaningful experiences in his youth, in, in Kathmandu specifically. And uh, we felt that going in there and rather than um, exploiting the place with exoticism and orientalism, that we could go in there and try to capture what it's like to be a white American moving through this city, this very alive city of very unique, very um, uh, uh, um, specific people. And, um, and to do that because tourism in Kathmandu is one of the, is the lifeblood of that, of, of that city, which is effectively a third world city. And yet mm-hmm. tourism, they rely, and it vanished after the earthquake. It just vanished. So part of our motive was, you know, let's, um, let's, let's put it back on the map that this place is amazing, you know, and people need to go there and, and experience it for yourself, what, what, what's there and what, who these people are. And there, because there is, a, um, there is so much to that city and so much to the people of, of that city that, that it was, was genuinely life-changing for me to experience. And that was, that's part of the tapestry of this movie also. One of the big things that that I mentioned to him when I spoke to him was the fact that I I wish we had seen just seen Wong at all in the first trailer, which I know that he doesn't necessarily have complete control over the way that Marvel chooses to market their movies. But I feel like just seeing an Asian face in that trailer 
would have gone a long way to to making it not not as easy for, for example, a mutual hero of both of ours, George Takei, to come out and just denounce it as well. Look, this is yeah. more of the same. Yeah. Um, you know, just just seeing that presence is something that I you know I can't speak for him. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that even if you have had conversations with him about this, you know, the the confidence is such that you know you you couldn't necessarily speak to. You know whether whether uh, whether that was entirely within his control or not, but you know what what is your impression of what they wanted to do with that character in particular once they decided that they weren't going to go Asian with the Ancient One? They wanted to go female with the Ancient One, but if they go female and Asian with the Ancient One, then all of a sudden you've got a Dragon Lady, which is no better than you know Ben Lopan, but a good guy. Oh, um, right. Right. You know, what, what, yeah. what is, what is your impression of how he wanted to approach Wong? Well, from the very beginning, from that very first conversation, it was before the trailer was out, he was very passionate about making Wong an equal and more than an equal, perhaps a mentor to Dr. Strange, where in the comic, he was sort of a manservant, sort of that traditional, you know, the Elvis Presley ping pong sort of character. Um, uh, and, and he, he's like, a, also horrific, but how, how do we modify this character? How do we, you know, make this character something that could be played by, 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 by Chiwetel Ejiofor? And how do we make this character someone that could be played by Benedict Wong? And they're both power Powerful uh, characters with, with with a great deal of agency, and I'm completely with you. I, I was very disappointed with the first trailer. I thought, you know, this, you know, whatever with the special effects, that, that's great fan service, but we needed to see more Wong and that would have thrown a bucket of water on a lot of this early stuff. The second trailer I thought was better because it did show Wong and it even gave Wong sort of a voiceover for some of the things that we saw. It, it clarified for me that he was actually more of a productive character, but from the very beginning, you know, Scott was very, uh, clear to me at least that he was very passionate about rewriting that Wong character for Benedict Wong and all the things that he is a, you know, great sort of powerful uh, presence. I mean, in this films. is a guy, this is a guy effectively coming off playing Genghis Khan. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, and, and, yes. you know, he, he's, he's not going to show up and, and stir tea. No, no. And, and you know, it, it, I, I read some comments that he made and he, he's very, you know, very good about, about speaking this. But you can tell that he, he, he speaks with authority. There's a great, great deal of gravitas with uh, Benedict Wong. And, yeah, you, you know, you see him in the back, you know, uh, um, hitting a gong or ringing a bell. It's not going to work, you know, playing a flute. It's not going to it's not going to fly. And, you know, certainly uh, that was – that was a major selling point for me during the course of that conversation with, with Scott's vision. I'm on board. I'd like to see what he's done. Um, I know that he's been really focused on giving Benedict that sort of agency. And again, what really gets me, I guess, is that Scott's done the work. And there are a lot of directors, I would say, that haven't. Uh, that or, they'll, or they'll put up a good don't. show. They, they will. Yes. They will. They're very good at 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 very carefully trying to seem sympathetic, but not really visibly pull off actually caring yes um, like they just want to check some boxes yeah and I, i'm not ready to give scott the title of honorary asian or anything like that you know, but 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 i will say that you know this is a guy that actually cares uh, I've, I've always felt like he's very empathetic that you know that there's always the argument you can't fully understand something unless you're, you are actually asian and you know there's a degree to which i, I agree with that at the end of the day though there, there we do need champions we 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 do need the, these change agents for us um that that are willing to do the homework that are willing to get on the phone that are willing to suffer um and and and, and stay awake at night when you parse the things that he said in public you know i don't want to go too outside baseball here but i mean he's he he's he apologized on twitter he said look I, i'm hearing a lot of pain today 
Um, and, and I don't remember the exact tweet, but but you know, it, it's essentially saying I'm I'm listening and I'm learning. I think he said exactly those things. And I can't think of the last time in American discourse from anyone that I've heard someone in a public way. He's already got the job, yeah. Right. I, I I don't remember the last time I've heard anyone come out and say I'm listening. I'm learning. I understand that I've caused a lot of pain. I hear you. I'm learning. The thing that was more um, more of an endorsement of his character to me than anything is that he said that, and he, contrary to what a lot of people might believe, one person is not responsible for the entirety of a movie. You know, right. there are studio heads, there are marketing departments, there are a lot of people involved in a lot of different discussions, and there are a lot of there are a lot of things that that are outside of a director's control. And, you know, this is, this is a, you know, a, a thing that various people have brought up. How do you feel, how do you feel it would have been any better had there been an Asian American screenwriter, Asian American director? Um, if, if they had specifically said, we're going to cast that role within the production, do you, do you feel like to the extent that we can bullshit, speculate, spitball, how that would have made anything any better, um, do you feel like that would have affected anything? I mean, is, is there anything wrong with them shooting Kathmandu, um, you know, in, in Nepal? Um, you know, is there, is there something that you feel like to the extent that you've seen anything to this point, that you know anything to this point, that they really could have done better other than cut the trailers better um, to, to really substantively improve this? Yeah, that's a great question, and I'll be really honest with you. I'm I'm very stupid, and and I I, I you know I I feel like I don't really have answers to these questions. The, these questions are really hard, and I've racked my brain ever since this sort of came out. Even with the Ghost in the Shell stuff or the Great Wall controversy, and you know that that, that that's been come out, and and the new Bruce Lee biopic, I guess you know and it's I not really think, about Bruce Lee, apparently. Yeah, it's about some white guy that yeah. that, that meets Bruce Lee. But you know, especially in terms of something like Doctor Strange. I couldn't come up with something different. That doesn't mean that there's a different way to do it. But I felt like there was a lot of thought that went into how to handle this. And, and, and the answer might very well be that there's not a clear and easy answer, that a lot of the things that Scott's getting killed for would have been forgiven perhaps with, with an Asian screenwriter or an Asian director without even without having substantively changed any any of the content that that, that that's in it that that perception is is real that you know you could pull in the sort of the Nate Parker thing with, with birth of a nation that you know before we knew about Nate Parker the movie was one thing and after we know about it it's another thing and I don't know that we can ever you know extract and separate those things I don't even know if it's appropriate to do so um, I think what I'm saying I guess is that I, I will defend Scott until the day that I die. I, I will. I will. I will stand there and I will say I believe that Scott meant well. And this is me without having not seen the movie. I don't. I, I don't. I haven't seen Doctor Strange. I haven't seen the screenplay. I don't know anything about it. You know, really much more than anyone else does. Um, so if I can't defend the movie, I can at least defend that it was a really difficult place and a difficult position to have put one person into. And some of the derision and, 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 and the attacks that he has personally suffered for being this or for being that, I think are exquisitely unfair and speak um, directly to this culture that we've nursed on the internet where uh, people can make cottage industry of someone else's outrage. You know, I, 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 I am beyond exhausted and I know that you are uh, as, as well, um, I, yeah, I'll, I'll go with exasperated. You can be exhausted. I'll be yes. exasperated. We can cover both yeah, bases. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm getting too exasperated or if I pass it, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all there. And, uh, I, I am sick of white people telling me what's offensive to Asian people. 
I, I just don't want to hear it anymore. And 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 so a lot some are some maybe are even qualified to say so. Some are more qualified to say so. My Mandarin is horrible. There are so many white people that speak better Mandarin than I have, and have spent the last thirty five years living in China. I haven't done any of that. I grant you this. I'm just saying I get on Twitter or I, 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 I'll get online and I'll see a 25-year-old white person who's lived in the United States for their whole lives telling me how offensive Scott Derrickson is for whitewashing and Orientalism. And, was, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm just really glad that nothing that I wrote when I was 25 years old is still on the Internet because I didn't know anything. And I know less now. So, I mean, with the, ex- with the rigors of age, you know, yes. decimating your brain. Absolutely. And and just the, the 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 horrible gift of perspective that years bring is that you realize the older you get, the more you know, the less you actually understand about anything. And everything's a shade of gray for me now. I used to have beliefs, and now I don't. Have, I don't really know what I believe. At the end of the day, this is where I land: is that you know Scott did the work. Scott has empathy. He's a good human. Um, he does care about these issues. If he is polluted by the Hollywood system, if there are things that are out there that, you know, we have to cast Matt Damon in a story about the Great Wall. Uh, there's a lot of people that are making these, you know, metrical analyses of what white people want to see in, in, in theaters. You know what? Yes, all of that is so. And yeah. I, I, don't I mean, if, know it, it, to... to me, if, if Matt Damon in the Great Wall is the <laughs> equivalent of Fan Bing Bing in Independence Day 2. <laughs> Right. Then whatever, man. Look, it's yeah. it's our it's our it's our Asian white person exchange network. Sure. It's just a you know it's it's a sure. thing. I you know I trust somebody like Zhang Yimou way more than I trust the people doing Ghost in the Shell, and yes. way 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 more than I trust the Bruce Lee thing. There, there's this scale of of uh, shades of gray. I would say yes. on all of this stuff, and it feels like many people are not even going. Uh, going black and white, uh, you know, to to use the the common analogy, they're just deciding there is one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum doesn't even exist, and yes. there's there's no line connecting this side of the spectrum and the now non-existent other side of the spectrum. Everything yeah. is wrong. Everything is outrage. Everything um, does not deserve a second look. But that said, where I think they could have absolutely employed better judicious decision making is it would have been a good idea to reach out to in industry in the departments that would be affected somebody who thinks about this stuff from the Asian American perspective in cutting the first look first exposure to this property, because as a Dr. Strange fan, like I've been a fan of the character since I picked up one of my first comics when I was a kid, an issue of the infinity gauntlet. I was like, who's this Dr. Strange dude? This is cool. And I looked up his origin story and I was like, oh, he's all about, you know, being full of himself and making stupid mistakes and, and being, you know, uh, being penitent and, and that sort of thing and, and getting rid of his ego and everything. And that's something that I've been dealing with as a kid who's, you know, in honors programs and too full of myself and crap, you know, something that I could relate to, something something that, w- that was there for me, something that I could hook on to. Um, and, and I dug the character. And when this first trailer came out, it was amazing how many longtime Doctor Strange fans suddenly appeared out of thin air. <laughs> Experts on the character who have read many, many hundreds. Some of them would say, I've read thousands of issues of Doctor Strange comics. There have barely been a thousand issues of anything featuring Doctor Strange, much less thousands, plural. Um, I don't know. I, you know, the, the, the other thing I wanted to, to broach with you is this, uh, this brilliant uh, amazing piece of investigative hard-hitting journalism uh by the leading news network of the United States Fox News. 
Um, you know, I don't really think I'm getting the cutting edge look at Asian American culture unless I hear that nine note riff. Um, I don't know about you, you know, I don't want to speak for you. Um, how, how do you, how do you feel about this non-existent spectrum of outrage where everything is instantly just as bad as that gigantic horror show that whatever his name is. I'm sorry, all those white dudes' names, they all blend together. I, I, <laughs> I, I, it's difficult to distinguish them. Indeed. Um, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about Shades of Grey, is that everything used to be very complex, and there used to actually be conversation uh, around these issues where we, we try to broach or, or at least reach some sort of mutual beachhead uh, in, in our beliefs and, and come to a consensus about our experiences. Anymore, there doesn't seem to be time for it. You know, the irony of print media folding as internet media exploded and, you know, concurrent with them not paying anybody anymore are all of these people trying to make hay by the maximum number of hits that they can get and you don't get a lot of hits for an article titled you know Derrickson tried his best or Der- Derrickson wrestles with issues I'll be you, interested you get... to see how they broach this issue and that issue that I can't really know how they handled from a 70 second trailer correct absolutely correct and and, and you know the the headlines instead are you, you know um, Derrickson is a sledgehammer racist or Marvel Universe hates Asians or uh, uh, DC Universe hates gay people. You know, there, there, there's no gray area allowed uh, when the impact is it, – it's as long as, you know, the lifespan of a book at an airport bookstore, right? That, that, that it's changed out every 10 minutes. And so, you know, as quickly as your browser refreshes, something needs to catch your eye and draw your click. And, you know, these people that write these hit pieces without having done any consideration, they'll walk home with 15 or 20 bucks based on the number of clicks that they get. And for that – They've caused all sorts of despair in the lives of real people who are wondering, you know, okay, somebody just called me a sledgehammer racist. Somebody just accused me of of committing a hate crime in the casting of Tilda Swinton. And so at at, at some point in our cultural discourse, uh, what's happened is we've stopped being allowed to have these conversations and everything is outrage culture. And, and, you know, far be it for me to to almost sort of get close to agreeing with something Trump might have mentioned. But there is a problem with uh, a culture that is so sensitive and so sensitized and, and, and then weaponized in that way and said, you know, OK, well, every click that you you get is a piece of bread in your kid's mouth. So weaponize, weaponize everything. Talk about everything in terms of black and white and get people to polarize. Um, if there's one thing that this election year has taught us, hopefully as a nation, is that that polarization has some really dire fruit for us to harvest here, uh, that, that we're completely not bred anymore for nuance and conversation. We're only bred for, you know, Hillary is either going to be great or she's the Antichrist, and there's not a gray area to land. And unfortunately, it infuses every area of fandom, uh, perhaps more quickly than the general population, but certainly infected all of us, at, uh, you know, at some level. So, um, yeah, there, 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 there we are. There is a problem with outrage culture. Thank you so much, Walter. Thanks, Moises. One last one for you, because you got to get out of here. You, you have an actor who's played kings, princes, detectives, soldiers, and monsters. What was it that you, you felt spoke to you about him playing this role? I think that um, it gets down to a kind of self-understanding that 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 I always felt within all of Benedict's roles as an actor. You know, it was it was a there's a quality 
that he has that demonstrates a, a deeper self-awareness to be able to play somebody like Sherlock and then play the character in, in, the, imita- in the imitation game the, the, the range and the demonstration of personal depth that, that is required to play roles like that uh, and to, to have that kind of range is very unique it's very unusual there's not, there's not a lot of actors that can do that and it's also uh, weirdly um, intuitive that uh, that he could bring something to Doctor Strange that would not at all reflect those other kinds of roles that he's done because it would be very like when I brought him up and I fought I didn't fight for him but I, I you know because Kevin wanted him also but my art whenever there was discussion about other actors one of the things that people would ask was you know it was well are we going to get Sherlock with a cape you know and I would just be like I promise you that will not happen I just could feel it in my bones that this actor's got so much in him and and has uh, and that when he understands the arc of this character what we are going to get is going to be something very very unique and it is going to be Doctor Strange like he is going to embody the essence of this character and everything that that the character made me feel in reading those comics and made me connect that the um the the, the the struggle with oneself the isolation the um uh the the trauma the growth from trauma the the, the willingness to go into the the dangers of self exploration and and literal exploration of the multiverse i just knew he could do it i just knew it i don't know how to explain that i just knew it and of all the things that I've learned from our, the test screenings of the film is that not one person who's seen the film doesn't love him as Doctor Strange. He is the perfect Doctor Strange. He just is. And, and, and having shot the movie now, I can't even begin to envision what anybody else would be. If, 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 I can't envision what the movie would be if it wasn't him. You know, he was just the right guy. He was, this was his role. To put a button on it, is there anything that hasn't come out in the marketing without spoiling anything that you're dying for people to see, whether it's a particular aspect of a character, whether it's a set piece, uh, you know, anything that you can allude to that isn't going to ruin something for somebody. Uh, yeah, I'll say this much that, you know, when we, when we cast Mads Mikkelsen, um, we knew that we were casting a character who was going to be a man of ideas and was going to have very definitive views of the world. And I love that in the, in the panel, he was asked, you know, is he, are you playing a villain? He very confidently said no, you know, because that's not what it, how villains think. You know, he, is, uh, he, is, he has very specific beliefs about what is good and right for the world. And those beliefs come from his belief in, his connection to, his empowerment from another dimensional uh, entity. And that's all I'm going to say. You've spoiled something for me and I'm thrilled. Okay, great. Thank you. I know for a fact that at least a couple of people are going to wonder why I didn't ask this or ask that. Why didn't I ask why did they cast a white guy as Doctor Strange? Why didn't they cast a person of color? Uh, Something that there there are things about the casting process that directors like Derrickson, I knew that I wasn't going to get an answer out of him. I was going to get some sort of a dodge because at the very least contractually, legally, that's what they're going to be required to say. There are questions that I've seen asked into a vacuum that wouldn't be posed to the director himself if people were actually in the room with him. 
So I hope to some extent I haven't let you down in giving you some greater insight, a deeper base of knowledge as to the decisions they made, the decisions they didn't make, and the second guessing that came along the way as part of the process that they chose to undertake. I'm not so big a fan of the character that this, you know, access to the director, that the uh, beautiful visuals that I've seen so far, none of that stuff is clouding my mind to the fact that there are problematic aspects to the character, that no matter how hard somebody tries, no matter how well they do the work, as it were, isn't going to erase all of the sins of the past. That much I'm conscious of. My feeling, my read, though, is that to the extent that one can, they did the best they could. Could they have cast an Asian lead? Sure. Could they have cast an Asian director running the operation? Could there have been an Asian screenwriter? Yeah, all those things are possible. I grew up in North Texas as a young actor who was constantly told there wasn't a part for me because there wasn't a character with an accent or an old man or some sort of a character type because I didn't exactly match the notion of what people saw as a romantic lead or even the romantic lead's best friend or in any way a character that had any actual agency beyond a functional, stereotypical role of some sort. I'm not the guy who is defending the fact that well, gosh, white guys shouldn't be squeezed out of parts. I mean, white guys are hurting for parts these days. I've never felt that way. Would it have been fascinating and have changed very little, if anything, about the character to have a Doctor Strange who was Latino? Absolutely. That would have been fascinating and fantastic. But I don't control the world, and neither do any of us. Doctor Strange still goes to East Asia to learn the ways of the mystic arts, but in this version of the Doctor Strange story... It isn't extricably tied to the fact that there's some sort of Asian mystic tradition that's tied magically to our genetic material. And I like that. They might still have screwed up a bunch of stuff. I don't know. I haven't asked for that level of privilege. It is entirely possible that they screwed up 17 different things, and I've given the director of the film uh, too much slack, too much, uh, too much benefit of the doubt. But I really don't feel that way. And it's why I made a concerted effort to have this story told. I don't feel this way about other productions that have been criticized, whether Ghost in the Shell, The Great Wall, various others. But this one, and I know this sounds hokey, but going with the marketing makes me want to look outside myself and look outside what I've come to believe is, is the standard de rigueur thing, the way that business as usual goes in Hollywood. This one feels like they did a lot more right than they did wrong. And I, for one, am going to be there in the theater on November 4th. Thanks again to Scott Derrickson and Walter Chaw for joining me. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Moises Chiu, M-O-I-S-E-S-C-H-I-U. Follow the network at ESNFM. The show is at underscore electric shadow. This episode is brought to you exclusively through sponsorship by our friends at Fracture. Go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. Tell them that you heard about them from Electric Shadow. Save 10% off of your first order, and you're never going to have your photos printed on paper again. Trust me. Thank you for listening. If you've been with us for a long time, or if you're a brand new listener, hey, go rate and review the show. Listen to some of the back catalog. The most recent episode in the feed is with Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy. Just before that, George Takei himself. We have episodes coming up with cast members from the Harry Potter franchise, people from the Star Trek franchise to celebrate the 50th anniversary of that one. A lot of really great stuff coming down the pipeline. 
Thanks so much for listening. I'm Moises Chuyan, and this is Electric Shadow. Thanks for listening. <laughs>